Welcome to Get on the Mend from Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. I'm your host, Melissa Whitfield. We want you to get healthy and stay healthy. So with evidence-based advice from physicians, healthcare providers, and researchers, take charge of your health. Our topic today is telemedicine, and this episode's guest is Katherine Crane, Senior Director of Clinical Operations for the Department of Surgery at TTOHSC School of Medicine. A year into the pandemic, we look back at how we've embraced telemedicine. Thanks for coming on our podcast. Would you please tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at the Health Sciences Center? Sure. Um, My name is Catherine Crane. I am the Senior Director of Clinic Operations for the Department of Surgery here at Texas Tech Physicians. I'm a mother of two, uh, soon to be three. I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old and a baby due in September, so that's exciting. And then I have worked in healthcare for about 15 years um, at various different levels. And during that time, I've pursued my business degree at the Rawls Business School and got my undergrad in business administration. And then I have received my MSHA from the School of Health Professions this past summer. Well, how exciting. Three kids. <laughs> yeah, they're, they keep me busy. Well, okay. two keep me busy and the third one will be just in addition to that. <laughs> well, that and school. Wow, that's, that's a different topic for podcasts later on. Yeah. Well, thanks again for doing this podcast. Yeah. Let's talk about your research project on telemedicine. What Can you tell us what is telemedicine, where it originated, and how it's different from telehealth? Yeah, so um, I think to start, we we really need to make some clarifications because there's kind of two versions of telemedicine itself. So there's traditional telemedicine, which is a patient and a physician had to be in a physical brick-and-mortar building, medical building, in order to receive care remotely. And that was a covered service that insurance is paid for. And then there's a second version, which is kind of the more topic that I discussed in my research is non-traditional telemedicine, which has to do with a patient being pretty much at their home, their place of employment, a physician could be at their home or they're, you know, at, are at the office and still receive care through a face-to-face or a, a remote interaction. So there, I just wanted to make that clarification early on, because I'll probably reference that later through the the podcast, um, but telemedicine itself specifically has to do with the visit itself between a physician and a patient or a clinician and a patient. Telehealth is the difference is kind of an all-encompassing scenario for healthcare. The example that comes to mind is digital monitoring for hearts. So historically, patients receive a heart monitor, they wear it for a couple of weeks, and they take it back into their physician's office to have someone upload the information and review it. Now they have a way for that patient to connect to that device to Bluetooth or Wi-Fi of some sort. It uploads to the cloud, it gets transmitted to that physician, and then they're able to view it that way. So that's the biggest difference between the two. And originally, when I started doing the research, telemedicine really came into play in the 1920s. That's what I thought was the most interesting. It was done through a two-way radio for rural patient populations where they would communicate with a physician in the city talk about what their symptoms were. And then at that point in time, they'd get advice on whether they they needed to physically come in to be treated for their illness, or if they could treat it at home, which I thought was really cool. And then from there, it expanded to telephones to now internet platforms. So through the advancement of technology, it's really expanded. And why did you pick this topic as your research? Honestly, it was just the most relevant topic when I was going through 
my uh, master's program. So it really started with my capstone course for my master's. And then from there, I worked with some of my professors to get it published, um, which was really, really kind of cool. Wasn't expecting that to happen. And it just made sense, you know, with the pandemic and everything that was going on at the time, we really needed to look for good opportunities to expand our patient care and create some minimal contact visits to limit exposure to physicians, limit exposure to patients, keep people away from each other, but still receiving the care that they need. So I thought it was really relevant to bring up the topic of promote telemedicine in a non-traditional way. So before the pandemic, who was using telemedicine? Historically, it was clinicians who had relationships with other medical communities. An example would be Dr. Griswold. He is in charge of our burn service here at Tech, and he has been doing traditional telemedicine for years. And when I say years, like 20 plus years. So he has a clinic in El Paso that he works with, and it's for our burn patients. So he will sit in his office here and see those patients in the facility in El Paso through that remote monitoring. And then he uses those resources to, um, and when I say resources, the faculty or nursing staff in that area to help describe how the wound may smell, how it may look. And it's, that's how it was historically being used. Were there any barriers to using telemedicine before the pandemic? Well, the biggest one, so non-traditional and traditional, right? So for traditional telemedicine, as long as that provider and that patient were both in a medical facility and the physician was licensed in that state that that patient was being seen in, it was covered by insurance. It was, it was pretty easy, pretty easy to perform. But with the pandemic, the biggest change was that they didn't want people coming into the hospitals. They didn't want people coming into the doctor's offices. So the restrictions on reimbursement opened up at that point in time. And the emergency order was put into place, which really expanded the use of telemedicine throughout the healthcare community. So patients were able to stay home and not have to travel different places. I mean, we, we serve a big population here at Texas Tech Physicians here in Lubbock. And, you know, it's, it's nice to not have to have that patient drive two hours. And at one point we had patients from New Mexico who were having to quarantine if they crossed the border to come see us, they were having to quarantine when they went back um, just because they were having to cross state lines. So it really allowed some of that to expand. Are there any current barriers to traditional or non-traditional telemedicine? I think the current barriers that I have seen is just the lack of knowledge on how to maybe implement telemedicine in an effective way. Um, there are certain criteria that has to be met. There are consents that have to be received. There's certain billing requirements that have to be met as far as documentation is concerned. And I think the biggest, the biggest barrier is just the lack of relevant information um, to the healthcare community. I mean, I think that was a, a big struggle for me when I was doing my research is there's a ton of studies that talk about the benefits or the lack of benefits for patients, but there isn't a lot of information about how it's actively being used to create a good process for patient care. So I guess the, the non-traditional telemedicine, how much has it grown and what helped it grow during the pandemic? Well, um, it's grown drastically. <laughs> There's a lot of physicians, a lot of, a lot of clinicians 
who just prefer that hands-on interaction with, with patients. They want to have that face-to-face visit. Um, and I think because meeting remotely had become so normalized during the pandemic that it became acceptable to start seeing patients remotely. One of the things that comes to mind is, you know, patients who have gotten blood work done or have gotten some testing done, but they don't need to physically come in and be seen. They just need to talk to that physician about, you know, their test results. This allowed for that to create that non-contact visit, but still continued their care. Because a lot of patients that we saw during, during COVID were very scared to leave, scared to go anywhere. So they were neglecting their health care. And that was a big concern. So it really opened the door to have patients still feel like they're in a safe environment while receiving that health care advice that they needed. You mentioned that some physicians prefer hands-on. How do physicians and patients feel about telemedicine? You know, it's not everything to everybody. There are a lot of clinicians who love the platform to see their patients on it. It's just, it makes sense for them. You know, psychiatrists, it's great for them. I have a nurse practitioner who specializes in medical weight loss in the clinic I work in, and it's been great for her. She's really enjoyed having the opportunity to get a look into her patients' lives. She's able to say, hey, show me what you eat on a daily basis. Show me, you know, some of the things that you're ingesting and they are able to pull it, you know, literally walk into their kitchen, show her the labels, and she can give them valid advice on what, how to read labels, how to look at different things, what, what's better versus what's not better. Um, It's really, she's really made comments about how it's helped her treat her patients because she's getting an inside look that most physicians don't get to see as how someone physically lives and how they take care of themselves in their own home. So she said, it's been a really, a really neat opportunity and she's really embraced it, which I I appreciate her for. I do believe there's a large number of patients who really enjoy it. I know we've had lots of patients say it's nice to just be able to log in and have that quick conversation and not have to take time off of work, not have to work around a school schedule of picking up kids, not have to, you know, go back and forth, you know, but there are, there are certain populations where it's not great. I mean, I work for a surgery group. So a lot of our patients do require a hands-on physical depending on what they're being seen for. So for us, it doesn't always make sense, but you know, like I said, for Mandy, it, it's a great opportunity for her. So she's really been able to, to embrace that. And we do have some patients who just prefer that in-person visit. I mean, we, we've had patients who literally say, this is the only time I really get out of my house. So they prefer to come into the office. And then there's other ones who are like, nope, if I don't have to come see you, I am happy to do it remotely. So, you know, you just really have to feel out your patient population to see who it's going to, who it's going to be best for. So were there any surprises in your research? The biggest surprise is really the lack of information. There isn't a lot of overly useful telemedicine information, in my opinion. Um, Like I said earlier, there's a lot of studies that describe how, you know, kind of the pros and cons of using telemedicine. The best research that I found was I didn't realize the military used it. 
that was probably one of the coolest things that I came across. There was a study done on a dermatology group that was working with the military and it prevented lots of locals as well as soldiers who were stationed in different areas from having to be transported unnecessarily. They were able to take care of things a little bit more locally than having to remove that soldier from the unit and then fly them to whatever destination they needed to go to to receive that care. So it was really interesting how that had expanded. I didn't realize it was being used in that way. Uh, The other thing that it wasn't as surprising, but it was interesting to learn more about was the prison system. It totally made sense. They they cut down on their costs for travel for inmates because they have to, they require two guards per inmate anytime they transport that patient. So anytime they had the opportunity to use telemedicine, it really cut down on the cost of that patient's healthcare. That was another thing that really you, you know about, but you just didn't really think about until you had to start looking into it. What do you think the future of telemedicine is? Um, I do foresee, and I'm, I'm going to use the non, non-traditional telemedicine. I do foresee that's becoming more widely accepted and being received in healthcare. I don't foresee that going away. And this is more my, my personal opinion, just based on what I've seen kind of as the pandemic is wavering, I guess is the best way to describe it. You know, we're kind of each, each phase of this is, is new, but I don't foresee it going away. I think people are really going to enjoy having that ready access to their physicians and their treatment. And I think it'll stick around. And the fact that insurance companies are now making this a covered service for them really does expand providers to want to utilize it more as well, because traditionally it just wasn't a covered service if it wasn't done in a traditional way. So it really will, I think, expand the utilization of telemedicine. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add? I mean, ultimately, I just really look forward to what this is going to do for our industry. You know, it's exciting to, to see how everything is progressing through the pandemic, how resilient people are and how creative people have become to take care of their patients and to to want to make sure everybody is, is getting the care that they need. So I'm, I just look forward to what the next the next advancement in this will be. Well, thanks for coming on our podcast and talking about telemedicine, non-traditional and traditional. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Get On The Mend. If you like what you've heard, please feel free to share the podcast with your friends and family. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Always seek immediate medical advice from your physician or your healthcare provider for questions regarding your health or medical condition. Get On The Mend is brought to you by Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. Mm-hmm.